is off. On this episode of For the People, my special guests and I are going to discuss very hard topics. Now, I would tell you the topics, but <laughs> that wouldn't be a For the People episode. Understand that these are our opinions, and all we ask is that you respectfully engage in conversation with us, whether you agree or disagree, via Instagram at 4thapl or our Gmail account at 4thapplpod at gmail.com. Let's chop it up, baby. Let's go. Yo, 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 yo. It's Mr. No Days Off. It is me, the one and only Stefan. I'm here back um, doing things a little different today. I got a special guest in the building. <laughs> I got my man, uh, you know, my brother, man. We've developed a really good relationship, you know, ever, ever since we've met each other. Um, it's been really, really genuine. Thankful for this guy. He had me on his podcast and, you know, things get crazy. So we've just been figuring out how to like do it on my end um, only because I think that the people definitely need to hear what he has to say, what we're going to get into about what we're going to get into today. Um, you know, this man, you know, he's definitely going to introduce himself, but this, this, this man is just, you know, former high school basketball star, you know what I mean? Like, you know, more, <laughs> more house, man, like. You know, he, he he's really just, he's up and he's out there and he's doing his thing. And I'm so happy to just have, you know, him in my circle. Like, sometimes, you know, we definitely just hit each other. Like, yo, I'm thinking about this. Like, you know, let's 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 get into a conversation about what it means. Um, and I think that's, like, super important to have. Um, to have people that, you know, you can reach out to and, and sort of, like, lean your ideas on, especially if you're, like, a thinker, right? So... You know, I, I'll let him. I'll let him do his his own intro. Um, but but this guy, you know, definitely had to give a little bit of a little bit of mine. Had to you know add my ingredients in there. Um, today we have the creator of the Privileged Black Kids podcast, Kendall Camp, in the building. Kendall, say something to the people, man. Steph, honestly, like thank you so much for having me on. Um, that intro was a lot. Just to give some clarity <laughs> to your listeners, I was definitely no real basketball star like that. Like, I was decent, but I was no star. Um, he was right. Like, yes, I go, I go to Morehouse. I'm now a rising junior uh, communications major. Um, kind of like my background is I'm from actually, I'm from Northern California. Okay. Um, I was born in Berkeley. Some of you guys may know, like Berkeley, Oakland area. Okay. Uh, grew up a lot of time in the Central Valley, like in Elk Grove, Modesto, Tracy. Um, and then decided to make the move and go to ATL and go to Morehouse. Um, mm -hmm. But you know what I'm saying? It's, it's, been a, it's been a great experience just being able to be in a space where I'm around so many like-minded, ambitious, you know, you know, Black people. It's yeah. just something that I never right. had really growing up. And to just be around it has just been such a great experience. Yeah, that's, that's, that's dope, man. I definitely, um, you know, I see, I've, I've seen myself the importance of being around, like, people you know that aren't necessarily like like-minded but will challenge you right either mm -hmm. through similar thoughts um but different like thinking patterns but or, or it could just be completely on the opposite side of the spectrum right it's just just having that is just so valuable um but every time we bring a guest on right we like to give them like what we call speed questions sort of like speed dating so that the audience knows exactly who they're talking to you know like just add a little personality in there um, so I'm gonna ask you five questions. Can't think. Gotta just go. All right. Okay. You ready? All right. Mm -hmm. All right. Favorite color. Red. Favorite food. 
Ah, uh, you can't think, 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 you can't think. Okay. All right, ready, ready? Favorite color? Red. Favorite food? Burgers. Favorite car maker? Tesla. Favorite place to go? Los Angeles. Who do you look up to? Bill Simmons. What's one thing that you wish you never did? Not not doubting myself when I take tests. Mm. Kavi. Kavi. Oh, Kavi. No. Yeah, okay. I, Gotta have more I, confidence. I, I, I think yeah, confidence confidence is key. You know what I mean? Confidence is de- is definitely key. And like we know that during quarantine, confidence has been a big thing, especially for the people that are have can you know been having to continue their academic career, right? So like it's a lot of things that's going on around that, right? Um, but you know, tell us like what's some things that you've been getting into, you know, during the quarantine? Like anything you're proud of, passion projects? Yeah. Um you know, for any college student or just anybody in general, it was such a weird kind of major switch. Um, like, I remember when, like, the whole situation kind of happened and it was all moving out of our dorms and just having to go virtually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was telling some of my friends this, and they're like, Kendall, you're tripping. Because you know me, I like to look up stuff and research and see what's going on <laughs> in the world. And I was like, I think we were hooping. And I was like, yo, I don't think we're going to be back next week. And they're like, Kendall, you're tripping. This ain't going to happen. And then literally like four day hours later, we got an email saying we had to move out our dorms. And yeah. Yeah. honestly, at first, like I was kind of like, I'm not going to lie. I was kind of okay with it. I was like, all right, two months. I can't be in school. Like we're almost <laughs> at the end, like yeah. whatever. Yeah. I didn't think that was going to be to a point where it was going to affect our summer. Like yeah. I was like, as long as I'm still in Los Angeles, you know, living, like I'm like, I'm good. You know what I mean? As long as that happens. Yeah. I'm going to flip when I got back home. And honestly, for me, like, and it really depends, like, on your perspective or how you work, but for me, online classes weren't that hard. Um, I think mainly just for me, you have to have, I think sometimes it's good to have a sense of fear, like a sense of like, oh, like, I can screw this up. And I would wake up every day being like, Kendall, you got to knock out the work. You got to check your emails. You got to do this essay just to get the work done. Um, And it all worked out. But as far as like myself being in quarantine, like, I've just really been, I had more time to podcast. Like, I was able to do, like, an episode every week for about, like, five to six weeks. Knock that out. Um, also, I'm doing my radio show. I'm a Jalen. We had a radio show at Clark Lane University in a studio. And when quarantine happened, we had to go back home. We're like, yo, how are we going to do this? But we didn't want to stop the show. We wanted our listeners to keep listening to us and have just new topics and great conversation. So we were like, let's try Instagram Live. Yeah. And we've been doing Instagram lives every Monday and Wednesdays from like five to seven uh, Pacific Standard Time. And they've been going great. And we were able to figure out, you know, what, what, what do we like to do as far as topics, the guests we like to have on? How do we like to approach things? Um, even now, like we're going to shift more to kind of Zoom format and doing yeah. podcasts and since yeah. it's on Twitter and YouTube. But, you know, honestly, man, like it's just, it's, it's been a tough time, but I feel like there has been some benefits of quarantine, just having to really be inside and kind of think, you know, what to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's like really interesting how you, you mentioned um, just like knowing that the summer was, was going to be, a, you know, affected by just like literally just seeing what was going on in the world. Now, if we had certain people in office, right, that, that you know, did the due diligence <laughs> that you did and, and seeing what, what measures should be taken, we should, we would be, we would be in, in a different phase of everything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, this is why we need to put Kendall Camp in office, right? But, you know, we're not going to get into that, right? 
Hey, he but, said that. I didn't say that. I, yeah, I said it, right? I Just said it. it. You put a, put a stamp on it. <laughs> but no, but what my point is that, like, you know, I feel like what, what you mentioned that was so interesting um, was that, like, you know, nobody really saw this coming, like, really and truly. And, like, it was something that people kind of saw as, like, and I, I had made a video literally when this whole thing started about how, you know, it was going to be so easy to slip into this mode of just being relaxed and not feeling as obligated to, to get your responsibilities done. And I remember even making that video, I didn't even think about how the summer could possibly change. I thought of only, I literally only thought of like just the rest of the academic school year because there's so much time left. You know what I mean? So it's just like, you know, with that being said, just, just, understanding how things you know change so suddenly and how quarantine has definitely shifted um you know the outlook on what the future of education and on well, just the future of just human interaction what that looks like you know it, it kind of brings me to think about just how college admissions is gonna is gonna obviously change right like yeah you know recently um usually la was in conversation uh, was in a lot of conversations about how they're looking to remove um, the ACT, SAT um, requirements, which we know is such a big part of, um, you know, that college, college application process, right? You know, you can't put together a college application if you don't have some type of, you know, um, number, right? I don't, I'm, that's all I'm going to call it because I have my own feelings about it, but that's not what this is about, right? <laughs> like, you you know, there's a number that has to go on your college application. And, and like, you know, I, I wanted to hear from you before we get into that, you know, do you remember what it was like when you were applying for colleges and studying for the SAT and, and, and that whole, like, phase of your life? Yeah. So, um, you know, I was thankful enough to have parents always push me to do well in school. Um, not too crazy to where like I always had to get straight A's, but they definitely always expected to be average when I came home. Yeah. Um, and throughout high school, like I was decent in school, but you know, just as any young student athlete, <laughs> you're more focused on basketball or yeah. track or just, you yeah. know, you're, you're just focused on that. And school is kind of just like a second thing to where like, I'm going to do good at it just so like I can still play and like be eligible for college, but I'm not thinking like that long term. Um, I remember my, my freshman year. I took the PSAT. I don't even remember my score. And I was like, all right, cool. Sophomore yeah. year, I didn't even take the PSAT. I was just like, what's this, what's the big deal about this test? You know what I mean? And then junior year comes and you start looking to take SATs and looking at colleges. And honestly, I remember in that process, it was kind of, honestly, for me, like, it was a weird kind of thing to figure out, like, where people want to go or what they want to do. Um, because it kind of becomes this conversation among like certain friends, like, oh, you take the SATs, how'd you do on it? And then the people who didn't take it, you'd be like, so why did you not want to do it? What was your reasoning? You guys would kind of go back and forth about what you thought. Um, but when I took, I think I took the test like three times and all my scores are not great. Like in general, like just terrible. I didn't do any SAT prep. I didn't do any ACC prep. Like I remember the ACT, I came and I was like, yo, why am I on the only African-Americans in this room? <laughs> and like, like I was taking the test, like they were asking me about, um, I believe on the SAT, they ask you stuff about like agriculture and just like a bunch of some weird science stuff. I'm like, yeah, I don't think I ever read or studied this. Um, but I don't know that 
it, in my opinion on like how, how it was for me, like during the test, it was never, it never went that great. I was able to have at least, I had above a 3.0 GPA, mm-hmm. which basically was able to get me into like most state schools and to most HBCUs. Um, but even with that, like to be, to be honest and transparent, my SAT scores were so low to where um, I didn't get into a couple state schools that I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't get into Howard University, which I applied to. Some of you guys know May Howard HBCU, the school that I wanted to go to, didn't get in. And even when I went to Morehouse, I did a summer program before my freshman year to uh, get yeah. acclimated to the whole process. So I was out there literally two weeks after my high school graduation being at Morehouse. We were stuck there for six weeks, couldn't go anywhere. Like literally, the only place we went was like Lenox Mall <laughs> and then a, a, like, an, like, a, like something for like Martin Luther, Luther King. Yeah. That was it. We were stuck there. And we had to do work for six weeks and just grind it out. And I did well in the program. Like I did, I did a decent job. I still had over a 3.0, but I was like, man, just because of my SAT scores, I had a full summer. I had to be basically like stuck in a classroom, stuck in a dorm, instead of just living kind of like a normal high school student after and just having <laughs> fun with your friends before you go to college. You know what I mean? So that definitely affected some things. Well, so then, I mean, looking back, what would you do differently? Or do you, or I really, or, yeah, I'm listening. Honestly, I just, I really wish, I don't, I don't, I don't, here's the thing. I'm big on everything happens for a reason. You know, don't look back on saying, oh, I wish I would have done that. Oh, I wish I would have done this. Um, but I do think I wish I would have done SAT prep and took things more serious. Just because, not just because of college admissions, but getting scholarships. Like, we both know college is super expensive. Super! <laughs> and if you can't get money from, you know, different schools, and typically it's not just your GPA, it's what you get on those SAT scores and ACTs, then you're putting yourself in a hole. And if you have, like, a full ride or even a partial scholarship to a school, it saves you so much money on paying loans when you're older. Like, it's just such a benefit to where I just feel like it, it, I get now why parents focus on it so much because it's such a big factor even. The way you think about SATs really could be thousands of dollars that could be gained or lost. And that's how I wish I would have thought about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, well, so so do you, did you feel like your high school um, like was well-equipped enough for you to, to, to say like, you know, you were interested in doing, um, like, your best, right? Like, not to say that you weren't, but just for, like, an average kid that's interested in, in doing their best for, um, like, that test, right? Um, do you feel like the, the, your, your high school had enough resources to ensure that their college, I mean, that student would meet their full potential? I would say partially no. There are some parts, like, I, I'm big on holding myself accountable. Like, I think sometimes as students, we tend to, rag on schools and what they didn't do but not realizing how we were back in that space like a lot of us in high school we were there but we weren't totally ingrained in the academia part of it and actually getting acclimated to stuff really trying to make our essays better like we've all been there to where we like drop a five six page essay in the night and we're just like oh it's six pages let me send it out and don't even do like no real proofreading or like edits or like really looking over stuff um i went to a high school that was 85 to 90 percent hispanic um and a lot of lower income families and it was to where like i had a lot of friends so i went to a middle school that was different in like a definitely a more of a suburban nice area and i would see those kids go to the bigger high schools and they were all taking sats 
they all had they had a lot more AP classes than we definitely had. They had just different options. Like at the time, um, I was talking with my friends, and she was like, "Yeah, I take a I take a psychology course." Like a psych, I was like, "You take psychology in high school?" Like what? Like yeah, yeah, yo, yeah. I want that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just hearing some of those advantages that other schools had, it would kind of be like, "Damn!" Like the like the some re- the way schools are set up, it is really messed up to what you have. Our high our high school personally for me. They were a great job of building a community and like everybody feeling fine in the space they were, but definitely on like, on like the school and the academic sides side of it, it's just certain things just weren't, weren't to what they, what they could have been. Like even me being a communications guy, um, there was a there was a media class for my senior year that I really wanted to take, but I couldn't take it because it was only offered one period and I was, I was in basketball practice, you know, and Lord knows how, how that class would have helped me out. So I just think people really need to look at like what the school can offer them and what they can do because people don't realize networks are started not even high school, it's started in preschool. There's the reason why people put their kids in these expensive schools before college, you know what I mean? Yep, no, hundred percent. I agree. And and like, you know, just touching on resources, but but before we get into a bigger conversation about that, I wanted to give context for the listeners so they understand exactly what's on the table here. Um and aren't just like, you know, just seeing it as, okay, wow, like, this is a situation that could could be like, you know, good for for everybody, right? Um, these are these are a couple of facts, right? So, you know, the aside from UCLA, um, there's many other schools that are um, becoming either test optional or test blind, right? It's two different things. Te- test optional is you can submit the score um, if you want, but it's not nece- it's like it's not necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, meaning like you know if you want to submit the score for maybe like you know awards purposes, meaning like if you want to get scholarship money, et cetera, et cetera, you can submit the score, right? Say for instance, you know um, you you don't feel like that won't factor in too much on your decision, meaning like you you meet the other criterias, um, then that will be an opportunity for um, you to just say like, you know what, I don't, I don't need to submit, right? That would be, would be considered a test optional. On the other hand, you also have test blind. Test blind where, I mean, test blind is, is really more so like literally in, in, in like the name of it, right? That's just not their focus. Now, one of the, one of the, to give you an option, to give you a difference between the two for test optional, you have schools like um, US, UCLA, um, that, that is considering, um, you know, going test optional, um, which would mean that, you know, as I explained before, um, just not like absolutely necessary, but the thing about it is what UCLA, UCLA is, is, is considering doing is making it, making it, um, test optional for like, based on if you're in state or out of state. So for instance, if you're in state, right. Um, you know, it would be actually test blind, forgive me. It would be test blind, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and for, for graduating um, classes of, you know, 2027, which means you're a freshman in 2023, 2024, um, it would be test blind for in-state students. Meaning if you live in Cali, you don't have to worry about like what impact your scores might make, you know, might have on your application. If you live outside of Cali, um, you know, then it would be basically like, you know, it would become test optional where you can use the new version of the SAT and ACT 
to to factor in on your application right um so there's obviously a there's room for disparity like for argument's sakes there's room for disparity like off the rip because you know i'm not like 100% sure on what the this the the thinking is behind you know that proposal but i can already tell you that you know students outside of california could also benefit from a test blind um admissions process as well right so um you know as as far as just the difference between um test blind and test optionals it's extremely important to do your due diligence and understand what that means um because you also have schools like loyola which have became test blind which is 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 good for this reason loyola has um has an average like so their sat like their average sat score for for their accepted students is like above a 1360 right which is a fairly good score yeah that's a really right? good score fairly good score so what that means is for schools like loyola to go and say we're going to become test blind that already means that the, the sat was working for them meaning yeah. like you know it, you know that means that like it's one thing to come into it and say like oh yeah we want to become test blind and you know they were having like applicants that were like scoring in the 900s right like but for for their for their average applicant to have over a 1360 that just means that they're they're qualified in a different capacity to come into the conversation but now that we have the context you know just just as far as the future of what a test blind or, or test optional um, application might look like. Just kind of curious on your thoughts, right? Like, what are some of the disparities that you think will, will come on the table now as far as resources when thinking about your experience in high school and how it could have been different? You know, say you have a test optional, test blind, um, you know, on the table, what do you think that means? Like, will college become more expensive, um, you know, Will, there, will it be harder to get into some colleges? Because now you got to think of what could possibly happen when, you know, they're trying to assess you as an applicant now, not that your SAT, ACT score is out of the picture, right? There's a bunch of different things to consider, but just curious on what your thoughts are. Yeah. Um, from my perspective, it's going to make things tougher to assess and analyze, especially as a student or a parent, because, you know, for instance, we were talking about schools – the University of California schools, so UCLA, UC Berkeley, UC Merced, those schools now, from what from what I read, um, they will not be requiring SAT, ACTs up until about 2024 and 2025. They want to create a new test. Sure. They say if they don't have a new test that is available, they will continue to have no test requirement. The thing is, though, still as a college student, typically with us we're applying to multiple schools, so. I still technically have to take it if I want to apply to, let's say, a private school like Stanford, um, you know, to go there, even California. So exactly. I'm wondering now, will it make it more kind of now to where certain students that have maybe a greater wealth or have done a lot more preparation? Because there's still a lot of companies that make a lot of money off SAT and ACT prep, that kids are still going to take those tests just to get to the private school. And even on the SAT, ACT conversation, I'm sure we've all, when we take the SAT, you have the essay option. I don't know about you, but I was like, I'm going to still take do this essay just because yeah. it might push me forward. Like, I don't know if it's going to 
help or hurt, but I'm just going to be like, let's try it out and see how it goes. You know what I mean? And also, I don't know if you're like me, I'm just typically a better writer than a test taker. So I'm going to yeah. take that option, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how things flip and change because if you have one, if you have the whole University of California education system changing testing, how is it going to change what happens, you know, outside of the state and what happens in other pri private schools? You know what I mean? I, I just think it's going to be very hard to gauge what to do as far as a college student and as a parent, um, because there still is a lot of exclusivity within, within colleges in America. Um, there's definitely different procedures and ways people get around the book. Um, it's just a fact, like oh, yeah. I, I've read before that Harvard's class of 2022, one third of them are legacy students. Um, yep. 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 And you just, you just have to look at those a lot of different factors and you have to learn kind of, I guess it sounds sick, but how to play the game as far as what colleges to, to best get into. Um, but we can kind of get into this more after kind of you speak on it. Like I think COVID in general and and like higher education is going to change dramatically off of just what is happening for even next semester and, and, and beyond. Yeah. There, there, look, co man, quarantine, quarantine. Like there's, there's so many different things that are happening, but in this regard, my take on it is that, you know, it's going to be a, it's, it's, it could potentially put lower income students that just don't have the resources or the opportunities to do well on SATs and just feel like, all right, you know what? I'm not even going to like take this test. Like I don't do well. Right. So, okay. To, to, to give you, um, like more of a sequence, right. This is the psychology that I think is like going to be, um, sort of, um, fostered from this. It's going to start out like, all right. Um, I don't have the money. I don't do well with tests. Like I'm not a good test taker. Um, I doubt I'm going to get into these schools anyway, right? Like, and, and we're talking about the difference between public and private institutions, right? So mm -hmm. I don't have the money, not a good test taker. I'm probably not going to get in anyway. Because remember, right? Like I did mention Loyola, but UCLA is a public, like it's a, it's a, you know, it's a public school, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm, what I'm getting at is there already is this feeling of just inadequacy to get into these private institutions. And these, these brand name private institutions haven't even like really mentioned anything about that yet. So say for instance, they say, you know what? No, we want to keep this testing industry going. We want to make sure that everybody is, you know, being able to, to be well-fed. We're going to keep taking it only because we know that our students or our future students can handle it. So there's going to be obviously right there a clear divide. Yeah. Because the lower income students that aren't necessarily higher achieving, and it's not because they can't, it's just, again, I don't have the money. I'm not a good test taker. I'm probably not going to get it anyways. And then you have multiple students in that, in that environment, right? That like, you know, essentially feel the same way. And because they feel the same way, what happens now is, you know, that, Obviously, they, um, you know, they're in an environment where that level is just not, um, it's not required. It's not of interest um, because, you know, you spoke a little bit about environment earlier and how important it is to like where you see yourself. So this divide 
is obviously going to, and, and of course it won't be clear, right? You won't really see it at first. Because there's going to be those private institutions that are still good options that will probably go with this. But I'm talking about the cream of the crop, the schools that put you in position, right? It's a whole different conversation that we won't get into right now. But those mm-hmm. schools say they don't accept this, right? Say they, they, they don't really follow this, this, this move, right? This, this, um, this boldness. Um, what's going to happen is the elites are going to go to uh, these private institutions still simply because they can afford to, right? They can afford to go to these schools because they have the resources to do so, right? So there's obviously a clear divide here that's going to happen if, again, not everybody's on the same page. And it just goes goes back to the resources. It all goes back to, like, just the opportunities that are on the table that start from when you're in pre-K. Definitely. You know, so like my, my take on it is, you know, we have to be very strategic, like the right opposition, the right traction, tension, right? Whatever words you want to use has to come in this conversation because there needs to be some major key players that say, you know what? I don't think it's fair that we let our public institutions do this or our, our sort of, you know, middle tier private institutions do this and we don't come in to, 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 you know, join in as well. And then on top of that, like the other part of, you know, to layer that, I, I, I remember when I was in high school, I was very involved, like just because, you know, I rather being involved in like being in my books, right? I'll be honest, right? Like I, 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 like, I was a good student. I never was like, you know, I never said like, yeah, I'm not doing homework. I always did my work. Um, but like, you know, I had this conversation with my mentor all the time. If I didn't, focus so much on extracurriculars, I probably could have been like, you know, way well, a much better student. But that stuff didn't matter to me because it was just like I was president of this. I was involved. Yeah, you that. probably wouldn't be the same leader you are today. Exactly. So my point is bringing that up is what I really want to get at is, look, we don't even really know what the testing model, I mean, I'm sorry, the application model is going to be that's going to substitute such a big part of the application process. So say, for instance, now they're like, okay, we want students that um, are of a certain caliber in their community already. So this would mean as well, I'm just mapping out different possible scenarios here, like all potential, nothing like I'm not, this is, this isn't really data, like at the root, it is data, you know, data driven, but it's like not, you know, I'm just thinking out loud, right? Mm. Cool. So they're going to, you know, they could possibly say like, Hey, okay. Um, all right, so what did you do in high school? What did you volunteer with? What clubs were you part of? Were you in any leadership capacities? If I'm coming from a school where that, like, there isn't that many clubs or there isn't that much emphasis on clubs or, like, you know, it's kind of just like, yo, I'm just being a regular high school student, that already puts me at a disadvantage. So I'm at a double disadvantage. Yeah. Right, because now my mm-hmm. application just isn't as shiny as it would have been if I was the leader of this or the president of that or the you know, the volunteer of, of, of etc. Right, like it's just it's just like what we, we there's too much information that we don't know. You know that mm-hmm. that is is really um, important for us to to factor in as well, and, and also think of this like, you know, recently Governor Cuomo. Um, made an announcement with the Gates Foundation saying that they wanted to do what is called reimagining education. 
haven't put out a plan yet for New York. So, so they haven't put out a plan yet, a detailed plan of what that looks like. But, you know, I mean, we, we know that once a, a big state makes a move, other states, especially states follow, starts to follow. So now if on a broader scale, we're, if we're talking about reimagining education for the schools that already don't have resources, what will it mean for them? For the students that don't have a computer to learn from home, don't even have internet connection to learn from home. Mm-hmm. So it's like a domino effect where like it wasn't working before as we wanted it to, but we still don't know what the best the best solution or the best idea is to move forward. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like it's such it's a really tough conversation and you can gauge it so many different ways. Um and I think, honestly, like, I, I think we both believe change is good. And I think what the University of California schools are trying to have some change and let it be more accessible to people. And they want to I be think it might be, I might be in some circles, it might be good to kind of, like, take off the monopoly that College Board has. Yeah. But there will still be a lot of, like, subsectors of things that SAT, ACT right. prep, and how you're going to put this test to um, if a kid can get into a school. Because, honestly, like I say this to my parents all the time, like, Colleges now, we are totally drunk on exclusivity, and colleges now, they have become luxury brands and not public servants. It's now all about building endowments. It's almost to where, think of it, a school now brags literally that they denied 90% of their applicants, and that's in a headline and an article, and that's considered good or great. That's why your kid is that elite. And to me, it's just, it, to me, we've just gotten so much involved in college to where, like, honestly, think more things. This is not kind of getting on a deeper level. But in my opinion, like, ages from 16 to 18, we need to start creating different options for what kids can do. Like, it just doesn't have to be college. Yeah. Whether that be a trade school, vocational, um, you know, maybe you, you just you want to go into the workforce and actually do something that can build value and help you in your career starting out and learning. Um because even I looked at my, my last year of high school, I'm like, did I really gain or benefit from that much? Like, I'm doing a bunch of elective stuff. Like, yeah. I'm looking here just because I'm still, I can play high school basketball. You know what I mean? And um, I just think we need to start looking at different ways for each student to excel or, or, or be okay with themselves. Because just because you go to college doesn't mean you're going to be happy or successful in whatever you do. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. You could go to some big brand name school, but like, do you how how willing are you to pay like either a hundred two thousand dollars of loans you know what i mean like and even with this too now with quarantine and covid now it's even like a fact there's statistics that are saying people are being more productive working from home via people are doing a lot of stuff to make money wherever on their laptops and how could you change that to where used to is like yeah go to high school go to college get a job, go to the forest, work in a corporate office, or go to a law firm. Like there's so many different variables. And I think we have to start changing things up because just because if you make things maybe more accessible, what's they're saying, but I think we both agree some parts aren't going to be as accessible or, or equal. Yeah. I just, I just don't think what they're doing right now is going to fix everything. I do agree. Like I feel like this, believe this is a good decision and something that needs to be done, but there's always loopholes to everything. Yeah. And what I've and yeah. what I've realized, like just kind of a quick thing. I don't know if you know about the the uh, book Rich Dad Poor Dad. Yeah, you know, I just actually got it from my sister. It came in the mail today. <laughs> just to that point of the book, like 
rich people, people in government, either law, business, medical, wherever. Smart people, they're always thinking five, six steps ahead. Like they know they're, they, what their main goal typically is yeah. to get economic security for themselves and their families. And so whichever way they can do that, they're going to they're gonna try to make it happen. So, you know, think, it's a tough situation. This, look, and, and like you said earlier, we can gauge the conversation in so many different directions. Like what level of, you know, like you can even think of it like this. Well, are we now trying to shift, um, you know, just the disparities in terms of just classism? Are we trying to, you know, basically say, Hey, look, you know, and, 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 and this could be far-fetched, but the only reason why, you know, you could actually have this conversation and not think of how far-fetched it is, is because they haven't defined exactly what the accessibility means yet. Right. But like, say, Hey, look, maybe college just isn't for everybody, which has been like an underlying thought for years, decades. I mean, mm-hmm. Lord knows how long. Right. But, like, maybe they're saying, they're coming out and saying college isn't for everybody. Therefore, maybe there's a different definition on who the employers and who the employees are. This is, like, the underlying conversation that I'm, yeah. I'm really trying to get our listeners to think about. Like, are we going to redefine what does it mean to be an employee versus an employer, right? Mm-hmm. Because it all, when you think about it, it all goes back to, right, like, where, where you where you go to school i remember i was watching um uh, uh um the mark zuckerberg mo- movies uh social network and mm-hmm. the dean of of harvard <laughs> was basically telling the, the 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 twins in the office like look harvard is harvard because everybody's Har- creating stuff everybody's <laughs> creating stuff yo exactly like people are creating stuff and and not only are they creating stuff but harvard students know that it's better to work for yourself than to go work for somebody. Mm-hmm. That's what and I'm we, saying. We, we, and, and we don't even have to get into all the deep dive of entrepreneurship but first being an, an employee. But, you know, certain things like, right. it's a real fact. You pay, if you can create an LLC, put, keep putting money into your business, like, we both know, we pay a lot of money in taxes if you're an employee, you know. Exactly. Um, we don't have to get into you know, acting like we're financial this, advisors, but this, this is not the episode, right? And again, yeah, definitely not, not that. We're not financial advisors. No, 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 hitting me up, like mm-hmm. you made me lose money. No, I didn't. Like you know, but yeah, I mean, but yeah, like you know, there's, there's like my, my point is that there, it needs to be more defined. But in between those things, like understand that as, as just spectators, before we, we take action, right? The spectators of what's going on. There has to be uh, a clear definition of what what they need in terms of accessibility admissions. And then on top of that, there also has to be a conversation about, well, look, like, what will the conversation about the employee versus employer look like? You know what I mean? But look, amongst amongst other things, we obviously know that um, quarantine is changing a lot of things, right? And, And, you know, of the things that it's changing... And me and you are familiar with this because we were both in the podcast community. Um, you know, we know that that recently there was like a, a Joe Rogan Spotify deal. And I wanted to change it up a little bit. I wanted to give you the floor to talk a little bit more about this. Um, you know, give give the people an insight on like, you know, your your level of just knowledge on, on podcasting. Um, just like, 
how well aware you are of, of what this deal actually means. And you get to interview me. How about that? All right, let's do a little different. <laughs> okay, right? okay. So, so talk to us a little bit about that. Um, you know, floor is yours. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know or the list, just the listeners, um, Joe Rogan is the top podcaster. If any of you guys who have ever went to Apple Podcasts or YouTube, Joe Rogan is the, num- is the number one podcast in the world. Um, he's brought on different guests that t- people, t- people typically don't get. Um, some of us know he's brought on Elon Musk, um, Kevin Hart. Um, he's brought on a lot of people that typically don't do these long hour and a half, two hour interviews. <laughs> and conversations, yeah. he's basically got to a point to where his economic security, his money is so great to where it was reported that last year alone, his podcast made $30 million. Jeez. A little motivation for the podcasters. Just, just, just think of it. The same thing that we're doing right now, literally the exact same thing. Rogan makes $30 million off what we're doing right now. Like, Shout crazy, out to that man. I mean? I'm, not even, I'm not even mad at him. Shout out to him. Shout out to him. And so it was a big deal because typically, so some of you guys know, um, Google owns YouTube. And, of course, you have Apple, Apple on the other side that has Apple Podcasts and iTunes. What Spotify did is they went to Rogan and a support, they're reporting how much money was made, but of course they can't give everything. It's already been reported that it's a lot more than $100 million. And they went to Rogan saying, we want to take your whole podcast, put on our platform, but you still have all creative content. You can do whatever you want. You're not censored. You can do whatever you want with the show. We're not, we don't, we, we're not, we're not producers. We're not directors. You do what you want. We just want to be able to be on our platform for more than $100 million. And with that, Rogan agreed. And what's going to happen is throughout the next few months, he's going to keep telling his listeners um, that the podcast is going to go to Spotify. And Spotify, wait, even wait, with wait, that. Wait, 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 wait. I don't think they heard. Did you say $100 million? Oh, yeah. And it's more than $100 million. Just to give context nah, to listeners. What? What am I doing wrong? It's, it's definitely a lot more than $100 million. Wow. 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 Okay. So with him pivot, with him pivoting over, it's going to change things as far as it was already reported. Like when that, now when that announcement happened, Google stock actually went down because they just lost their top podcaster. Who's always getting views on YouTube clips. Like, like think of it like a, like a, I think the Elon Musk interview did like seven to 8 million views Jeez. for a two hour podcast interview Jeez. Jeez. you know Jeez. how many people you know that will listen for two hours just a two men sitting and talking seven to eight million people said i want to listen to that and watch that yep. that's a lot of ad revenue that's a lot of money that can be brought in and spotify wants some of that and they want to take rogan under its belt and it's changing things as this fact as far as what what how do you get the talent how do you source the talent how do you change things um just to get like one more piece of piece of kind of context as far as like the money aspect. So Spotify stock ended up going, I believe, about they went up twenty to seven to twenty-eight dollars over a forty-eight hour period. Wow. Wow. When they, it was announced that that Spotify acquired Joe Rogan's podcast. And with that, with that twenty-seven to twenty-eight million dollars a share, it was reported that that ad ended up going over to five billion dollars that they gained technically with the stock portfolio just because rogan said yeah i'm on spotify now i'm taking my talents to south beach 
<laughs> so think of it. Spotify was like, yeah, we'll pay 200 to 3 million, 300 million. I believe it's the deal is over three to four years for Rogan and their stock just went up $5 billion. Mind you, Rogan probably has dope content in the car. Yeah. And it's killing YouTube because, and you know, some people, some of my content creators who are listening right now, we know that YouTube has done a lot more censorship and not letting you play what you want or do what you want. And Spotify is like, you screw that. Yeah. We're going to take Rogan. He can do what he wants and let the listeners come to our platform and listen and run our ads instead, right. instead of YouTube censoring what he can and can't say. Because in you a know way, what I mean? Like, what's so dope about that? And I'll, I'll let you first, but I just want to comment on that part specifically. What's so dope about that is that Spotify leader, listeners are obviously agreeing to what they will hear. Which, in a way, right, eliminates, like, to a degree, certain liabilities. And I'm, I'm sure it gets more technical than that. But just, like, on a face value, it eliminates certain liabilities that, you know, the, 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 the streaming platform might go through because people might say, like, oh, this isn't for kids. But it's like, look, you know who this guy is. So when you're, you're exclusively coming to our platform for this, you already know what you're getting into. Yeah. But, but, yeah, like, like I'm listening. Yeah, I mean, definitely on that point, like, it's definitely changed kind of the landscape of podcasts versus radio and TV, because typically now podcasts, it's, you can say whatever you want. There's not as many ads. You can have long conversations like this, and we don't have to end it after, like, five minutes and being like, hey, guys, come back after this ad. Like, there's none of that. You know what I mean? It's straight, raw, uncut conversation, which people love to hear. People love to hear raw, intimate, just really in-depth conversations. Yeah that don't feel forced or there's a time limit per se. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And what I'm saying is I think it's going to change the landscape is a lot of these different big media platforms or tech companies are going to pay for the talent to come to their platform only exclusively so they can reap the benefits and the person who is, who is let's say, not on the, is on that platform. They're like, yeah, I'm going to come to this. And as a content creator, you still have all the creative juices and different things you can do but you're still on one somebody else's platform to help help them reap the benefits and do their ads so just i'm just i guess to kind of like the question that i kind of want to pose to you especially as a podcaster um and somebody who is in the media like does this kind of change the way you think about how much harder you want to go into media or how you want to approach things because obviously now media companies and tech companies are catching on that they're willing to give top dollar to top content creators yeah, I mean, like, well, shout out to Joe Rogan, and um, I'm, you know, don't know him personally, but I'm, I'm just happy about just what it symbolizes, because I mean, like, I don't, you know, funny enough, I don't know if you heard about this as well, but Amazon is looking into investing into podcasting now too. Totally it's, makes sense. It wants to, we both know Jeff Bezos is a smart guy who wants to create his own ecosystem. Exactly. So what Amazon is looking to do, and they haven't really commented much on this, but what they want to do is they want to basically invest into more local podcasts to like bring that exclusivity to Amazon. Mm. Now, what does that mean? That means that podcasting is going to be monetized a lot differently very soon. We're looking at potentially people paying for podcasts soon, and they will. Definitely. I, I and, just think... Yeah. I, I guess I was going to say, not even on a podcast point, uh, perspective, but just how voices change everything. Um, you know, like some of us know, like Alexa is like the Echo device. You know what I mean? 
voice has become such a big thing to now where I think of podcasting is as listening yeah. to having somebody in your ear for an hour and a half. There's just yeah. some type of like deep emotional connection yeah. that you don't get with a lot of the other mediums. You know what I mean? Yeah. And each can have that. It's just such a benefit to the content creator and the advertisers on that. that are on that platform. Well, well to get a little bit into more about how I feel, right? Like, I mean, this is big because I've, I've, you know, I've always told like my fellow podcasters and my circle is very small when it comes to that. Right. But like, I always told them like, yo, look, treat your podcast like a business, but don't look essentially to monetize it. Look at it as leverage for something else that you want to do. So for me, Definitely. I've used my podcast to, to, to have conversations or interviews. I've had, I've used my, my podcast to, to have conversations with professionals. I've also used my podcast to have conversations with the people, right? Like mm -hmm. I've leveraged my podcast to move in so many different spaces that like, it wasn't even about the money. So mm -hmm. what's my point? How I feel is, well, look, now that I've already been in that place where I'm like, okay, I'm going to use it to leverage. I'm going to leverage the podcast, not essentially to make money, but to do something like that I think is bigger than just the money for that podcast. I think that is giving me a, a more, a, a, a higher level of humility and also the opportunity to be more invested in my craft because I'm not doing it for the money. Mm -hmm. And I think, that's what people tend to miss when they, they create content that you can't do it for the money because people will see mm -hmm. people will hit me sometimes like, look, your podcast, you know, short run has, has, has gotten like considerably a good amount of, of, of traction. Right. Mm -hmm. And you don't go crazy with them. There's no marketing dollars. Really? How? Mm -hmm. It's because there's heart in the content. So when we look at people like Joe Rogan who are out there and are finally getting compensated, you know, at, at this magnitude for, for their content, what I really see is the opportunity here is that, all right, cool. Finally, people are recognizing how genuine content makes the world go round. Sounds cliche, but that's a fact. Yeah. Definitely. There's too many times where people don't actually think of having authentic, honest conversations is what people want. And, and talent knows, like typically we've all seen the person to where like, they just, they come off more, they're more about the money, you know, woo woo, just, just things that just aren't as genuine and real. They start yeah. losing their follower base because they're not, they're not authentic anymore. I mean, and, and like, the authenticity is so important, man. Like, and, and I mean, as far as the, the, on the financial end though, right? Like, I mean, this is great that, um, we're, you know, podcasters are, are going to be recognized, um, you know, monetary wise, but you know, it's also complicated now because one of the things that have, has been, uh, marketable, right. About podcasts is that it's free. Um, it's also been that, you know, it's on all streaming platforms, right? Like almost all podcasters at the end or beginning or at, at some point, like, yeah, I'm all, you know, I right. So like now mm -hmm. that it could potentially only be on like 
Prime Podcast if they create that or like, you know, um, Spotify. Like now it's kind of like taking away, you know, that just level of availability. Mm-hmm. So if I don't have a Spotify account. I can't listen to your podcast. Uh, yeah, don't know if I'm really that interested. Why? Because yeah, Joe, Joe Rogan got that deal, but understand that like Joe Rogan is at, like he's at a level where he can, he can do that. And, take- and most of his listeners will go over. Most people don't have that option. Exactly. So now, you know, that whole like, you know, just there not being a benefit from being on all platforms now, right? Like, is 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 extremely to talk. Is, is important to talk about because it's. I mean, it's something that could just change the whole playing field. You know what I mean? Like, because it's like question is like it, think of it like YouTubing, right? At a certain point in time, nobody really was like YouTubing, and nobody really knew about like the the, the money incentives behind YouTubing, right? cool now it's kind of like people are just youtubing just because they're like all right maybe i can make a little some some per month right Mm -hmm. understand that like youtubing killed like vimeo and like those other streaming platforms that you could have put it on before Mm -hmm. so it's like i mean it's good because people always ask like how do you make money how do you make money i think it'll be more clear on how to make money with the podcast but at the same time it's kind of like one of the selling points, I think, of a podcast is just being on all platforms, being free, you know, but understand that investors, like these big companies are going to, like, they're going to figure out a way to maximize profit and figure out a way to, like, get the best return on their investment, which means that a lot of different moving, you know, parts are going to, you know, come into play now. So shout out to Joe Rogan, right? Like, at the same time, understand that, he could have cre- he, he could possibly be, you know be creating like a space where things are harder. I was gonna say just on a content creation space, and this this can be advice for anybody. I think people have to, you know, we're big about thinking things five steps ahead. And yeah. podcasts, YouTube, they're great platforms to build your followers. Yeah. But always try to think of what's next. What? Wh- how can I connect that to things? Yeah. So, a lot of these top content creators do or their business people as well is they'll do other things. They'll either create a masterclass. You start doing speaking engagements. Like I think supported Gary V gets a quarter of a million dollars every time he speaks. Um, that's creating books, full fledged audio, audio books, you know, um, there's so many different things that can come. If you get a great podcast, you can get a podcast community because the great thing about podcasts is if you have a certain amount of listeners, People are literally saying that they will listen to your voice 50 minutes to two hours. That, there's, a lot, there's a lot of leeway with that. It's kind of like the same thing if you finish a book. If you finish somebody's book, anytime you hear about that person, you feel like they have credibility in what they're saying because you took the time to read a whole 200 to 300 page book. Yeah. So I'm just big on to anybody who is listening, who is a content creator, always try to think of the next steps away you can pivot or create multiple streams of income. hundred percent, hundred percent, man. I think, I, I, I think it's, it's important what you said though, but like, but like, yeah, man, I mean, look, the floor is yours. I'm not even going to interview on this one. It's like, you know, is there anything that, but I, but I do got to ask, is there anything that comes to mind though, that you want to leave the listeners with on, on this topic? I mean, I kind of, I kind of summed it up as far as, you know, just, as far as a con- from a content creators like just trying to 
leveraged opportunities. And like you said, interviews is great. I've definitely done it in interviews, speed engagements. It's just made me a better interviewer and just a better conversationalist. Right. I think definitely any, any young person, um, when you're just kind of going throughout, just learning anything, it doesn't matter what industry, yeah. is how to communicate, how to talk to people, how to talk yeah. to older people, how to talk to people who Enjoy. don't come from your same background or experiences and make things work, you know? Yep. And I think that's such a big benefit to where you get in that content creation space. Um, because if you can learn how to win people, win friends, there's so many different great opportunities that can come Definitely. from that. I agree. hundred percent, hundred percent. And on my end, I'll say that like, you know, I'm happy for the podcasting community because this could be really big. Right. But at the same time, you know, let's, let's figure out how to, to, you know, maximize on our opportunities as, as low tier podcasters. Right. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because this just means that there's an opportunity somewhere. It's a matter of fishing it out is really just like what the challenge is going to be. But again, shout out to Joe Rogan, you know, super happy for you. Um, don't know you, but like just the idea of thinking, you know, like knowing what it takes as a podcaster at this level in terms of thinking of content, managing people, right? Like it's it's a lot that goes into it. So I could just imagine what it's like on your level, right? So just to know that you're being compensated for that super 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 cool man so thanks thanks for uh for doing that um hopefully you know we run into each other one day and we could talk about like, you know how how exactly like you know this happened and and just you know just just get get some game right some some conversation that needs to happen happen off the air right like you know <laughs> you know you know right um but like there's a lot of things you know going on during quarantine right act sats is one Joe Rogan and, and and Spotify and podcasting is another, but on 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 a more on a more serious note, you know something happened recently that is is on my heart, um, for a number of reasons, right? I mean, yeah, this one is, is this one is a little crazy. Like it's it's harder Definitely. to talk about because at this point. I don't even know. Like, is it normal? Like, am, am I supposed to feel like this is okay? And what I'm what I'm talking about is 46 year old African American man, uh, George Floyd, died on Monday after a a police officer took a knee. He took a knee on Floyd's neck. What makes it even worse is that he took a knee on Floyd's neck, but he also was, his hand was in his pocket while, while doing so. And, you know, like, you know, I'll be honest, you know, I'm the type of person I really don't like, I'm not like anti-law enforcement I'm not even the type of person that, you know, will go out and speak against um, the men and women that put their li that their lives on the line every day. Because mm -hmm. to be objective, you never know who you're going to run into. There's so much hidden, like there's hidden layers of trauma that just come with 
law enforcement interaction, especially in communities of color, that as a police officer, potentially, I don't know if this would be true or not, I could be maybe afraid too. But at the same time, I'm not excusing anybody that is a part of law enforcement at this point. Nobody is excused. Because it's it's really for the same because I think it's bigger than, than Floyd, right? And and of course we'll give a little bit more insight on Floyd's situation, but it's bigger than Floyd though, like it's crazy, y'all. Like this this one right here is, is a little it's a little OD for me because you know I've had my interaction with law enforcement. And if you know me, yo, like I st- I really stay out the way. Like I don't you know, like, and, and when my situation happened, I literally, like, I'm telling you, I would be honest with y'all if I was doing so. I was doing nothing. Like, literally. Literally nothing. And my interaction, like, you know, it ended up how it ended up. And it made, I feel some type of way about it. Yeah. Can I kind of talk about my experience with law enforcement and how I kind of think about things. Yeah, for sure. Um, and it's honestly, it's, it's really so, I, we both, we all saw the news. Um, and I remember a week ago, one of my friends um, from Spelman, we were just kind of talking on the phone about law enforcement, police brutality. And she had a younger, I believe a younger brother that was about to go off to college in like a majority kind of white area. You know what I mean? And she was kind of fearful of, her little baby brother going to college around, you know, not just when say white people, but just, you know, white security, white cops, like you're just not, you're just, you're, you're, you're the people, you're, you're what is considered people are fearful, they're scared of you. And so she started asking like, Kendall, like, what are your thoughts on police brutality? What are your thoughts on law enforcement? And I could tell she wasn't happy with my answer because, and this is how I've always been. I don't live in fear, but I'm all cautious of my surroundings. What I mean by that as a black man, I've had, for me, me personally, my law enforcement experiences have been 50-50. Some have been good, some have not been not so good. And, you know, we, we can both attest to, like, anytime you see just a cop car, your stomach drops a little bit, you mm. know? Oh, yeah. D- d- like, doesn't matter. A lot, I have times where I'm like, you know, I'm going, I'm going the speed limit, I'm listening to, like, a podcast, I'm doing nothing wrong, but there's something in my head thinking that I'm going to get it pulled over I'm gonna, or something's going to happen. Yep. Even to speak to my point as um, I, what I was doing these past two weeks between like my internship starting and school ending, I started door dashing and I was dashing in a lot of these kind of like kind of nice suburban areas that are very white. And there were certain things I would do. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like I would make sure not to put in my earrings during those days. Even the shirt I would wear, I would wear like a shirt color that's like, yellow or orange or blue but i would make sure to make to never wear like a red or a black or a white shirt like little things i would do just so i guess the opposition wouldn't think to pull me over and even some of those things we both agree like you can't control like i'm a black man in america there's certain things i can't control but it's just the thought growing up especially like as an african-american you think of those things before you even leave the door of your house of what could and could not happen right so i mean just 
as far as the George Floyd situation, like talking more about that and not kind of my experiences, I honestly, I'm not going to lie. Like I saw the video at first and like, I didn't want to believe it. Like, cause the video was like, what, eight to 10 minutes long. I was going through it and I was like, wait, no. Like, cause I, like, I saw the, um, the, uh, Ahmad, the Arbery, the Arbery, uh, that, that video. And I remember when I watched that, like I watched the full video and that was pretty quick. And I was just kind of like shocked. I was like, wait, what? You know what I mean? And I was watching this video and I, I just cut it off. I was just like, I don't want to see this. I don't want to keep seeing so much negativity and things that are going on within America and our community that like, it just hurts to see it. And sometimes too, it also, it, what always does to me is I think about like, what is activism? How to be an activist? What are, what are the right practices to go about things? You know, because I do want to inform our listeners, there, there are some good cops out there. There are people who actually care about the community, but there are some that are terrible. And to even give uh, for, um, some context, the person who, shot, who um, basically put their knee on John George Floyd's uh, neck, there was a picture of him with, uh, with um, uh, a Trump uh, MAGA hat with them right next to about like five to 10 feet of Donald Trump at one of um, his speaking engagements. And that's just like, that even puts another thing on top of it. It's like, wow, this guy was, this well, is, I don't want to get, I, I really don't want to get into politics. You know what I mean? I don't, Democrat, Republican, independent, whatever way you want to go. But just even seeing that, I was just like, damn, you know what I mean? Yo, I, I am, um, there's so much to say, man. Like, so having a conversation with my neighbor earlier today, and I told her, like, yo, look, I don't want to hear anything about good cops, bad cops anymore. I don't want to hear that term. I don't want to hear good cops. I don't want to hear bad cops. Because to me now, all cops are the same. You got to think of it like sports, right? When you're on a team, if your team does bad, you look bad. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. Tell me I'm wrong. Well, you got to hold people accountable, or you lose. Okay, it's a team effort. So I don't want to no longer hear good cop, bad cop, because at the end of the day, the bad cops are making the good cops, if there's such a thing, look bad. What the conversation needs to be about is policing in general. Who's training these people? What level? of intelligence do these officers even have for the communities that they're policing? Do they have these underlying biases? Mm -hmm. If they're posting these pictures, should they even be on the job? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, I won't know, but like, it's, and that's a real thing. There are a real picture of him next to Donald Trump, 10 feet with the hat. And, you know, like, that's like, I'm not saying you got to fire him, but like, you should like bring him in, like have a real conversation. Like, how do you, like, how do you feel about this? Why are you doing this? You know, you can, you can keep going on, but there's just a lot of underlying things that need to be done. I feel. I'm, I'm, I'm like, at this point, like, if you watch the video, you hear him, like, I don't know if you've ever, you know, driven on a bridge. And like this is like crazy, but like, have you ever imagined yourself like possibly swerving and like swerving off the bridge, and then like possibly, like if you're scared, of how, like you know what I mean, like possibly the car just like going down, and you're seeing yourself literally, like, 
It sounds crazy. I know you're probably like, oh, man. I don't no, wait. I do it every time because, you know, me, I'm from Northern California, and I've drove on the on the Bay Bridge a lot, you know, driving from Oakland to SF, and you're just like, yo, what if I, like, swerve off and just, like... Exactly. So you imagine I mean? you're... I'm not even going to tell you imagine because that's, like, just degrading, right? But, like, what makes you think that if you can have those thoughts about being on a bridge that... George Floyd felt any better while he was on that ground, like literally seeing himself dying. Like literally. Like imagine you thinking of possibly swerving and that moment of swerving and you're finally off the bridge and the car is going into the water. Like think of just how crazy it is to just like be on the ground have somebody's knee on your neck like you're a dog or some type of wild animal and literally you just see your life just like and like yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll be a little bit more transparent just in, in I'll give like a, a piece of my, my interaction I remember when I had my situation right like the, 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 the officer asked me like why are you putting your hands up I'm like you watch the news? Like, do you not see what's going on? Like, I need you to, I told him, I was like, yo, I need you to see my hands. If it makes a difference. But I need you to see it, though. I'm wondering, I'm wondering, what did he say back to you? At that point, I was just so, so, like, I was just so, I, I'll be honest, like, I was just kind of like, I felt I felt like, wow, like, yo, this is just crazy that I, I just tuned out. I'm in my head. I'm like, yo, I just want this to be over with, mm -hmm. you know? And it's like, the crazy part about it is what happened to me has happened to my friends, some of them. <clears throat> and I've even seen it happen to people I don't know. And it's like, the way it makes me feel about this situation, it's kind of just like, at what point will it change? Like, we're obviously yeah. having the wrong conversations. We have maybe the wrong representatives. We have maybe just, just you know, a, a level of inadequate resources to, to bring a solution here because things haven't changed. Like, this has happened for decades. Decades. I think people, like, have to realize it's just now coming out more because people have camera phones. But this exactly. has been going on forever. It's been, it's been worse. I'm almost positive if I were to have an opportunity to talk to some people that were deep in the civil rights movement, they'd tell you that this is nothing compared to what they were going through. Definitely. But the point is, is that we knew then and we know now and it still hasn't changed. And it really, and, and you know, I want to highlight, you know, it brings me back to, you know, one of my favorite speeches, right, by Malcolm X, which is the Ballad of the Bullet. And, it, and I think the Ballad of the Bullet, my fault, <laughs> I think the Ballad of the Bullet is important for many different reasons. One of the themes that the Ballad of the Bullet brings to me is that, like, there has to be a level of unity 
in order to come to the point where solutions can be made for our community. But if there isn't a level of focus on what we need to do for our community, we will never get to the point where our ballot truly matters. And there's a many different ways to interpret that speech, but that's one of the ways that I see it. And for me, like, to think about the fact that, you know, like, again, I'm, I'm getting carried away. Like, we need to give context. George Floyd, so, like, he wasn't even, like, he was really in town because his mother had passed away. And it was just like, you know what? I'm going to just, you know, I decided to, you know, I, like, it, it was home. So, he's like, I, I'm just going to decide to, you know, making it, making it a permanent situation. Mm-hmm. Right. And even give more context, dude was a good guy. Like, even look at some of his background, like he was like a great athlete. It was, I guess I believe he was, he played college basketball with uh, Steven Jackson. Some of you guys who watch the NBA, Steven Jackson played like 15 years in the league. And it was a poor, George Floyd was like, he was a great guy. He even, he was coaching, he was coaching basketball. Like he was coaching kids. And think of it, you're a kid and you just lost your, you just lost your coach per se because of law enforcement. And think about how that might make you feel. It probably, you're pissed off. You're like, you're like, what the fuck? Like, why? Imagine if you're, if you're an elementary middle school kid and you're brought up and you're taught by your teachers in elementary middle school that cops are there for you, they're here for you, they're here to protect you. Meanwhile, your coach, the person that you spend hours with is now not here anymore because one of those cops killed him. Like, yo, honestly, this is such a hard thing for me to talk about. I'll be honest with like, I'll be honest with my listeners, right? Like, you know, like, this is a hard thing for me to talk about only because it's just like, yo, it's just like, I was, I remember I was with one of my good friends, not, you know, the other day, right? Socially distancing, of course. But with my good friend, he was like, yo, being black is so hard. And I, and I, I wish he was, I wish he was wrong. Mm-hmm. We could talk about the good part of it, but it's just like, yo, I, I wouldn't change the, I wouldn't change my story the way it was written. Right. But it was just like, mm-hmm. think about the fact that, I mean, and he's saying this as he's watching cops just randomly stop a guy like we literally were looking at a guy being randomly stopped and strip searched for what we don't know but he couldn't have like it couldn't have been so much of a crazy situation because the man literally had boxes of pizza in his hand so what i don't i'm sorry like i'm not like a master criminal here but like Mm -hmm. i doubt that he was doing something so crazy that he deserved to be stopped, searched, pinned, um, you know, and put on the car as if he was like, like a nobody. And like, my point is this, that like, yo, honestly, I'm set at a point where I, I feel like the solution has to be found. All cops have to be considered accountable. And there's no such thing as, you know, good and bad cops. It's just policing in general. And moving forward, what I also think needs to happen is 
like who's letting like who who's letting these 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 like the powers that be are are letting these things happen right mm-hmm. and who's letting the powers that be exist is it us are we the solution and we don't really know or is it them is this something that we can is some, is this something that we can change Mm-hmm. I think it goes on to the point of talking about, you know, how we should be, how we should practice activism, even to a point how we pick our career paths and our goals. And this is a little bit off topic, but you know me, we're both business people, creators, and you know, social media. And so I, I love social media, but I hate it in certain ways. Ah. And to a point where social media has became like, you gotta be an entrepreneur. You gotta have ownership. You gotta, you gotta open up a business, man. Blah blah. It's like, wait, like, that's not everybody's path, and it's so beneficial to have great teachers, firefighters who care, a cop who actually cares, people who work in these communities. There, you, you, what you expect or what you want is you want people who actually care about everybody, regardless of race or gender. And I just think from my perspective, it all starts at the top. Who's leading, who's leading stuff in office? Who are the top people that are working within um, different departments and within, within law enforcement? Like you have to look at that, of their background, what they believe in, how many, how, how diverse is it? And even to kind of a point, like, um, I'm just gonna bring up a cool quick story. I had, um, I have a friend who lives in like the Oakland area in like in a decent in decent area and she has an older a older older brother she said like when she was growing up she never got pulled over but he said her brother who's a black man always got pulled over for no reason to a point to where her and her parents it kind of became like a little bit of a joke because it was like oh he got pulled over again and they get a call like for nothing like literally nothing it happened time and time again by cops in that city. Mind you, a person that lives in the city that is, is that did nothing wrong, was never, never guilty of anything. The same thing kept happening, happening. And to go on to that point, they told me how he ended up becoming a firefighter. And even in an area for any of you guys who don't know, like the Bay Area is great because it's pretty diverse. And you know, the Bay Area was is very big on, you know, we know about the Black Panther movement and starting things and trying to create equality. But even within that, he was there and it's the firefighters, it's a pretty old white boy network. It's, you know, it's, it's father and son comes to, to, to come on. And even to that point, they said it's pretty diverse, but still, even on the leadership side, it's still majority white. Like stuff really hasn't changed. It's even now sometimes what I got, I don't like is when companies talk about diversity, it's like, Yo, tell me who's actually on your C-suite. How many executives do you have that are that are African American, that are Hispanic, that are, that are women? Like you have to. I think, in my perspective, it all starts at the top in leadership. I think we personally have to do a better job at enforcing that, asking those questions, really having those tough conversations, um, because we both know, leading our own platforms, when you're the executive or you have the right of decision to what happens or not. That affects everything below. Yep, tips to balance. Yep. Yeah, I, I'm with you, and and I think like another important part of this conversation 
you know, is that, yeah, you're diverse, but are you inclusive? Not, like, that's the thing, right? Like, people hear diversity, and, and they, there's so many conversations about what that really is. So it's like, that's definitely its own episode within itself. But But what I'm really getting at here is that, like, I do agree with you when you say that we have to do a better job of asking these questions and, and looking to, for, for what the companies are saying because, because of the government as well. Government as well. But like, look at it like this, right? So say a series of qualified African or minority interns or employees are looking to be a part of your company, but you see that they're obviously not interested in working for you because they have a better option for a better culture elsewhere because your culture isn't up to par or just simply isn't at the point where it meets the needs and concerns of these pool of applicants. What are you obviously going to do? You're going to change. You have to change. You have to. Right. And this is why like, you know, like, this is why a lot of the times I give kudos to Bloomberg because like, it's one thing to be diverse, but like, like from what I remember of the culture being there, there's definitely a level of inclusivity. Like you can definitely go, you, you can't go a full like 30, 45, you know, to an hour without seeing somebody that looks like you for sure. Yeah. One part. And we both know that's where we met. And it was definitely, it was beautiful to be in a space of so many ambitious young people that all come from different backgrounds like if you if you was in there you look like the united nations like people came from different backgrounds and it was cool and it was so it was great to even see the people that came up to speak looked like us and had and had to say and was real like they didn't sugarcoat stuff they were honest they say how it's been but but I'm i wish more of that was done I'm, I'm i'm also referring to like look at it like that from 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 thinking about okay yeah United Nations, right? Yeah, dope. Mm-hmm. But if while working there, what are the opportunities for me to meet senior level execs or even be part of these groups that have my interest, you know, at the top mm-hmm. of the, the top of the agenda? What is that like? And that is there, that is present. It's one of the very it's one of the very attractive things about that culture. So my point is this uh, that like you know and it all ties it back into like like Floyd and, and and it's at this point what's really sad is that like Floyd Arbery like they have and will continue to be just pieces of the story because it's so much bigger than them. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but truly that's where we are. Unfortunately, we have these are people that we will unfortunately have and just say, look, this is why. You know what I mean? And that's why, like, like, and and I want to kind of bring it more to a closing, but thinking, you know, one of the last things I mentioned is like, I remember when Kaepernick had, he made some changes to that, that workout and people were upset. Like, ah, why would you do that? You're blowing your chance to be part of the NFL again. All these different things. Cap was just trying to send a message like, hey, look, I want to be a part of this. 
but you have to meet me where I'm at. That's what people missed. Mm. There's no middle ground. The the location switch, all of that has to be, it it was symbolic for you need to meet me where I'm at. Because if you can't meet me where I'm at, nothing changed. You're just coming back in with the same rules and regulations and not having, be able to say actually how you feel or what you want. Meet me where I'm at. And that's what the future that you know needs to look like. Yeah. No, but look to to my listeners. What I really you know to our listeners, like you know what I what I want to say to to the the community that's tuning in with us is that like look your role in this, your accountability level in this is simply just your voice, your mouthpiece. Like, what are you going to do to ensure that the legacy? And the list, sadly, is just too long to name everybody that has, 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 you know, unfortunately has had their life taken away from them due to bad policing. What are you going to do to ensure that your kids don't face the same odds? That's my, that's my question for my listeners. That's a question for the community that's tuning in with us. That's all I'm, that's what I'm going to leave with, right? The question is, what are you going to do? Is there anything, you know, any last words you got for them? Like, <coughs> I mean, at least on this point, I, I, I agree with you. Just trying to have, we all have a voice in a certain way. I think it's now, you know, we talked about the pros and cons of social media, but we all now have an iPhone. Well, majority of us have iPhones <laughs> um, or smartphones, you know what I mean? <laughs> Shout out to the uh, Android, uh, <laughs> Android, Android users. I don't respond to um, green tech messages. All right. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. But, um, you know, we all, we, you know, guys like Sean King who have literally changed things and had a voice just through his social media, you know what I mean? That have brought awareness to certain situations. I think we tend to think that our voices aren't as big as, as big as what we think, but in reality, like when we put stuff together, you can change things. I think people need to have conversations. I think honestly, and this is kind of like a crazy thought and listeners might be like, yo, what are you saying when I say this? I remember the other day I was driving when I was doing DoorDash and I kept seeing like all these cops, like for some reason, I think I was in a downtown area and I just kept seeing cops, like white cops, of course. And there was some weird thought in my head. That's like, there's almost a point in me that like wants to just like, just talk to them and just be like, I'm going to have a conversation. Like, what do you think about black people and just the, and just, and just cops? And are you holding your, your, your other, your other colleagues accountable? Like there's a sense of, I, it's almost like I remember one time my dad um so yeah, I'm not saying it wasn't I wasn't a bad kid growing up but like <laughs> so you know as a kid like you get your uh you get your permit and you're thinking you're good like I want to drive and there was one time like I was driving but I didn't have my license at the time and my dad figured it out and he, he took me to like the police station like our local police station and had me talk to a couple cops about what are the, re- the repercussions of me actually getting pulled over without a license and it sucked, I'm not gonna lie, but it was definitely, it was almost so weird to like, I guess, try to humanize or try to talk to cops just on a human level. Because every time I think of cops or just just in general, I think of the opposition or somebody that doesn't want me here or is fearful of me. Like there's no like, I wouldn't see you just like, I, wouldn't, I, would, I don't see a cop and I don't think of him as just another Lakers fan, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
And that's sometimes where I think like, yo, there's a huge divide because there's no humanization on kind. I think even mm-hmm. sometimes both sides. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I think a lot of the divide is, you know, I think you have to, it's conversations, it's being honest with both parties, not just within your own community, but other communities. Yeah. Um, and just doing, doing what you can, because we all have a voice at the end of the day. We have a voice is what, is, is what we're going to leave you all with. We have a voice. With that voice is one thing. But the question still remains, what are you going to do? Peace, everybody. Mr. No Days Off, Stefan here. I'm super excited that we had this, this conversation um, for you guys to to really tune in and, and, and think about and process. As always, the lines are open. Hit me if you have my number. DM me if you got me on the gram. Send me Definitely. an email if you got me on, 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 on that platform. But, but you know, don't only reach out to me. What, what's, your, what's your handle? How can people get to you? You know, like, if they want to yeah. challenge you on a point, where should they hit you at? Yeah, well, first, before I like, against any of that, like, I just want to say thank you for having me on. Like, sure. you've definitely been, like, like a brother. Like, and Monty, we only met one time in person. Right. But, like, from the moment, like, I started talking was to like, you, I was like, <laughs> like, yo, this guy has something. Like, I don't know what it is, but his energy, his intellect, like, there's something there. Like, I don't know what it was at the time. But, um, you know, seeing with your podcast, like, you know me, I listen to a lot of different podcasts, but every time I listen to your podcast, like, it just is a certain type of different like authenticity and things being genuine. Yeah. So we're like, I just love listening to it. Like it's the type of podcast I listen to where I'm just like in the car. I'm just like, yo, I just want to hear like some just honest conversation. Yeah. I'm not looking at far as like, Oh, I need to use this for educational value and entertain myself. I just want to hear some honest, good thought, thought out conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you guys definitely do that with your platform. So shout out to you guys for the people, all, all your listeners are definitely, they're, they're good people for listening. They, they know what's up. But, um, they're loyal, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But on a personal level, if you guys want to reach out to me, uh, my personal Instagram is underscore Kendall Camp. That is K-E-N-D-A-L-L-C-A-M-P. Remember the double L's. Um, you can reach out to me on there. I have my link to my podcast and my radio show as well. If you guys want to listen to my podcast, um, it's called Privileged Black Kids. Um, it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, any platform you can think of. Soon to be exclusive. Soon to be exclusive to one podcast. You know, yeah, definitely. You know, we trying to get to that level. But um, right. if you're into just, you know, if you're definitely if you're a minority, African American, Hispanic woman, you know, or you just you have different things that you're trying to deal with, trying to get through and really trying to deal with self development and trying to find those different advantages that you may have that you might you might not have thought of. I feel like that is the podcast is for you, yes, you know, having those tough conversations and learning from different individuals who may are maybe a little bit older than you. Like for me, typically it's like one to two years older, but they have done great things and you can learn from them. Yeah. Um, so those are the main things you can reach out to me on. Also LinkedIn, if you want to just type in Kendall camp, I'm available. And uh, yeah, Steph, thank honestly, LinkedIn. thank you so much for coming. Let me come on the podcast. My brother, you already know, man. Um, like my pleasure. We got to do this again. You know what I mean? We will figure it out, like how, how we're going to. Um, but look, I'm excited to drop this episode in particular. Um, we might have to do this ASAP. Might, I got, I might, have yeah. call, might have to call my producer ASAP. <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Um, because it's so relevant. It's so important. 
Um, but look, man, thank you for coming on. All of the info that you heard as far as reaching out to him will be in the comments of our post as well. So we'll have that for you guys to reach out to him via there. But, you know, um, when can they catch Privileged Black Kids um, and, and also your, your podcast with Jalen? Yeah, so um, Privileged Black Kids, of course, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. There's no really set date of how much we release. We've got, we got it's now 23 episodes. So you can go through. There's a good amount of episodes you can go through and, and listen. Um, me and Jalen, when we do our radio, we do our show every Monday and Wednesdays from 5 to 7 Pacific Standard Time. Um, we are probably going to change it up. We're going to go more to like a podcast, YouTube type of type of feel. Um, so I'll, I'll have that information out soon and I'll send it to Steph. Maybe he can post it on his page or whatever. But we're definitely with that main, our main radio show. We're going to go to podcasts and YouTube and you guys can find those shows on there. Dope, man. Dope, man. Well, again, bro, thanks, man. Like, you know, we're definitely happy that you got on here. I probably said it a million times, but uh, yeah, family peace. Mr. No Days Off, Kendall Camp in the building. Get at me. Know the vibes. Stay quarantine clean. Let's get it.